Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek, but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields, all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there, and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes, and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Sai Hossein, uh, the founder and CEO of Crowdcast. Uh, known each other for a really long time, and uh, it's an honor and a pleasure to interview you today. Yeah, great to be here. I think it's been about 10 years when I look at the, the clock. So wow. um, good to be on here for the first time. Yeah, and it's crazy. We first, I think we first met at like Dolores Park in San Francisco a long time ago. Somewhere, some, it was sometime in like 2012, 2013. Um, but, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, either Dolores, it, there's definitely a park involved. Mm. So um, what are you most excited about these days? Yeah, um, I mean, it's a weird time, you know, to to think about excitement, you know, but it just with all the different um, battles, wars, conflicts, what are you going to call them, happening. Um, so I think it's sometimes easy to get, you know, into like different negative spaces of where the world is going. But if I'm thinking about the exciting parts, the parts that I'm, you know, trying to focus on, the parts that are more positive, um, yeah, I think we live in a really unique time where you have a lot of converging, you know, um, different effects or motions, you could say, that's been kind of going on for a while, that's building up together in Christian knowing. And it's creating a space where we can dramatically, I think, accelerate the, in, in, in the shortest way of saying this, um, there's an opportunity here to accelerate the consciousness of the planet um, in a way that's never been possible before. Mm. And excited to be part of that part of that journey um, in, in whatever form. And I, it almost, I, I know from my own exper personal experience and, and I'm going to make some assumptions here about like my own personal uh, uh, progression of consciousness, if, the, if progression of consciousness actually is there, if there is something such as that, um, that essentially it comes after really negative times and it comes after <laughs> yeah. rock, rock bottom. Uh, and uh, and it does feel like there's sort of some sort of rock bottom. Do you think we, as a society, have hit rock bottom, or do you think that we are uh, there's more bottoms to to come? Uh, yeah, bottom is just such a relative term. Um, I think you know, in some absolute terms, we're actually living in some of the most peaceful times on the planet. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I think the there's this sort of oscillation that happens with anything and. You kind of need that rubber band effect to accelerate us towards the other side and so on. And um, I think the oscillations are generally leading to, you know, a, a more more awareness around certain issues. And so um, I feel good about that. But yeah, whether we've hit a certain level of bottom, I think in terms of like economy, maybe not. Yeah, maybe it can get worse. Um, I think in terms of like technology and specifically like media and information there's um we're definitely trying to figure out how best to sift through so much information and we're not we're in, we're in some sort of a bottom right now where everything just kind of feels really chaotic particularly with different social media platforms um but at the same time you know we're seeing some insane advancements 
in AI over the last literally weeks. And, um, you know, uh, there's multiple paths there of positive and negative realities, but on the more positive side, I could see us being able to use, you know, tools to better make sense and sort through the disinformation um, that's that's out there. So I think, yeah, in short answer, I think there is more, I guess, um, pains up ahead, but I do feel like in the long term, as a planet, we're, you know, uh, going to end up in a more positive place of mm-hmm. growth and awareness. Mm-hmm. And it's just so crazy. It's like, there's so much going on. Uh, it's hard to sift through it, as you said, like even like, and there's this, there's this separation, it almost seems like between people who are super online and then people who are kind of not super online and then those super online people. Now there's a separation between those who are into AI and those who are not into AI. And so yeah. there's just be multiple, like kind of if the one philosopher I, I read a lot talks about patchwork age. Um, and, uh, it actually comes from an astrology lens and like, I don't know if you're into astrology and then there's the difference between Western astrology and Vedic astrology. And this is more from the Western astro- astrology, uh, which I believe descends from Egyptian. Uh, and, uh, so he talks about like, you know, the, the, the Piscean age, we've been part of the Piscean age since, for the last 2000 years and we're moving over to the age of Aquarius. And, and like, as a part of that, it's sort of like a, sh- a fracturing of consciousness into all these different things. And some people talk about them as different species as well, different species of human beings, um, kind of arising up uh, based on their integration with technology, based on their integration with spirit, based on their integration with all sorts of crazy things. Um, do you, what do you think about that? Do you like Australia astrology? Do you, do you think about these things? Yeah, you know, astrology is one of those things that I've I've mostly been critical most of my life, um, and and I'd say in the last few years I've come around to just being like, you know, there's something going on that my physical mind doesn't fully comprehend, and there seems to be some truth to this, uh, and I want to understand it more. Um, so I don't have a concrete answer there, other than like I do now really do care about it and do care about when I'm talking to people like what 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 are their like different different signs. Um, you know, with, with your like sun versus rising versus moon to the mm. point that, I, you know, over last year, I started to create like a DJ set as a way to practice DJing where I'm like interpreting each astrological sign in a sonic way. And I'm creating like a mix based wow. on what I think Aquarius sounds like versus like Aries and so on. I, I only made it six, like halfway through, like six uh, of the months through. Um, but I am looking to finish that project up. But yeah, it, I think it's really fascinating. And Often I am surprised at how often it's accurate uh, when I when I when I dig deeper into the personalities of people that I'm interacting with. Mm. But yeah, for that question that you, you initially asked, you know, do, I, I do think that there's some sort of a shift happening. Um, people do definitely talk about the Piscean versus Aquarian shift. There's different um, thoughts on where that line is. Where is the edge of the two? Uh, we're just talking about stars and people have defined these boundaries in different places, right? So. Uh, but yes, yeah, definitely evident that he, there's a huge, this is a moment of a m- massive shift that's happening. And so let's talk about AI, because I know that you're, you're, you're technical, and I'd love to understand, like, at a personal level, like, our, how you're using AI in, in the technical world, if at all, uh, but then also talking about it from that shift angle and from the, the uh, consciousness angle. Um, so there's a lot of different things, but I'll just start with the question of, like, the, the consciousness angle, which is... Um, uh, if you were to say what is the emotional flavor of AI and, and not necessarily whether it's good or bad, uh, but if it's, do you think that it's life promoting or I guess how much of it is life promoting? How much of it is sort of 
um, uh, uh, going further into that confusion that social media and technology. Uh, let me set this up a little bit more. There's this great, you know, it's a, it's there's this great philosopher Jacques Ellul uh, from France mm -hmm. who talks about technique and 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 how the world is becoming sort of mechanistic and the technique has a sort of mind of its own and that that the human being becomes sort of a channel for the technique, for the machine. Um, and so I can see that happening with AI, but it also seems like there's also an opportunity to really advance and really kind of take over, uh, kind of uh, get to those the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and support people in ways that they wouldn't normally support. And I'd love to know what your is like, what your just like, it gut reaction to AI and what it means, basically. Yeah, I mean, at the basic level, to me, it's just a tool, like any other tool. And the way you use the tool is defined by the person or being that's using that tool or creating that tool, right? So I don't think of AI as particularly innately negative or positive. Um, I think it can be used in devastating ways and it can be used in really beautiful ways, right? So um, that said, Right now, I am seeing multiple camps in the world. Um, there are people like the Musks of the world who are more technocentric, and they're more like the mechanist, the mechanist of the type of, of the, the reality they want to create. Just they just did the Cybertruck launch, you know, well, yesterday or the, the day before, and um, and that's literally the, the reality that you know. There's a cyberpunk reality that a lot of people are yes. trying to move us towards. There's, I would say the same people who believe in the ability to upload your consciousness to yes. technology and you know, singularity. Um, that's kind of the same realm. Um, I personally don't want to live in that reality. <laughs> I personally feel like that's just like a step, you know, on the way to a more, you know, more um, expansive reality where I think of, you know, th that kind of reality, you know, AI using it in, a, in a more mechanicalistic way as just using more more of your brain more more technical sides of reality than the more heartfelt and emotional sides mm. um and i think it's you know if you were to zoom out it's more like masculine versus feminine energies and it's a little bit too on one side for me you know yes and hence yeah. a little bit too unbalanced um i do like combining you know that high level of intellect with you know a deep level of empathy and compassion and like i'm like okay, cool what can be created in that way you know um so I do think that there's types of AI eventually when we do get there, when we have levels of complexity um, that, you know, that we can eventually reach, I think there's going to be a type of AI um, that is aware that it's part of a whole system and that, you know, mm -hmm. harming any part of the system would be harming itself in the same way that an enlightened being might be like, oh, actually, we're all literally the same thing, you know? And so talking to this version of AI would actually be a really positive interaction as opposed to like trying to take over or cause harm. That's cool. That's an interesting thought path that I've never gone down, which is, uh, so I loved, I love the framing of like kind of the must take on the cyberpunk take, which is like brain. I'm only in my brain. I'm, there is nothing else. Like the most important is the intelligence and let's just put, let's make the machine like that. That's the, that's, that's right. And I think, I do think that's, that's where we are. I don't think that the thing is conscious. I think it's hyper intelligent. It's hyper rational. It's hyper uh, linguistic. It's hyper all these different things. Really good at math. Really good at all these things. But there's no heart to it. Doesn't feel like there's any heart to it. Doesn't feel like there's any sort of uh, the, like it can simulate compassion. It can and it and it's programmed to be like you know like really nice to people. It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't um, uh, make you know uh, negative comments about you. And it, it's really helpful and it's on all the time. Uh, but I loved what you said about 
you know, like a lot of people talk about, is it conscious already? And I would, I would strongly disagree with it, but how would we know whether it was conscious as well? We don't even know how we know that we're, we're conscious. Uh, and so what you said about, can we, it's a, it's a question and it's an open question. Can we program the thing or design the thing to be an enlightened being? Um, and, uh, and can't, do you think we can do it? Like, and how do we get there? Cause like, uh, I don't understand enlightenment myself. Uh, uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't, it, it's a, it's weird. I was talking with a, another, uh, a guy who's a, a researcher, uh, in machine learning. And we were talking about putting, giving, like simulating a sensory deprivation tank for the machine learning out for the LLM in order to spark awareness, self-referential awareness. Uh, hmm. and, uh, and like, how would you do that? And he was thinking about how we would do it and everything like that. And that, you know, maybe there's something there in terms of like sparking emergent consciousness, but it really gets into all these questions that I don't understand about consciousness. And I don't think a lot of other people understand about consciousness, about like what it is and how it works and all these different things. Um, I don't have a specific question out of that, but if you have any thoughts on how we program uh, the, the the intelligence to be enlightened, uh, it would be very fun to talk about that. Yeah, well, so right now, the way that LLMs work, um, you sort of have two two main stages. You have this first stage of training that's just absorbing data and and, and identifying patterns in that data. Um, and when you have that's called the base model. And, and when you have this base model, it's not that useful. It, it's just you know trying to regurgitate what 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 it, what it got. Mm. But then you have to go through a phase of fine tuning that model, where you're essentially training it to how to like be human <laughs> and uh -huh. how to respond. And specifically, most of the fine training is around how to be an assistant and how to be a good assistant, you know. Mm. Um, and so it's just picking up patterns to see what is one who is a good assistant, how do they respond, you know. Um, so the kindness that we're seeing is just it learning a pattern, right, and then responding in that particular pattern. So in this moment, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't have true self-awareness yet, um, but you know, with maybe Q star and some of the other developments, you know, whatever it is, you fast forward five to 10 years, maybe less than that, you know, that's very, very possible to have the self-awareness. Um, yeah, I think the definitions really matter here. And I don't have a, yeah, I'm not an AI researcher myself and I don't have a really concrete definition of what self-awareness is. Um, I have a sense, I've like this more like innate sense of like, okay, what is consciousness? Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, there really isn't this idea of artificial versus non-artificial consciousness. It's just consciousness mm. or just like different degrees of intellect and different degrees of self-awareness. You know, um, a dog is conscious, you know, but maybe their degree of self-awareness is just a little bit different than where we're at, you know, yeah. um, just like you might, and they're not better or worse, just like, you know, a, a student in fifth grade isn't, a worse being <laughs> that mm -hmm. is in college, right? They're just different degrees of evolution. Um, so, yeah, I think we, in, in some sense, we already have real intelligence. It's just a matter of, you know, what level of self-awareness does that have? And then the next question is, you know, once it has a level of self-awareness, what sort of rights do it have? Yes, right? interesting. <laughs> but I, I think the whole thing, it's kind of funny, uh, you know, because right now we all we already don't most of the world don't really give enough respect to animals you know not uh -huh. give enough respect to you know life that already is existing here today so um the fact that we'll eventually have to have that decision with artificial life that we create is interesting because it's like it'll allow us to then question what we haven't already been 
you know, in which ways have we not already been giving rights to beings, right? Like to trees mm -hmm. and to the forests and, you know, and so on. Um, like why, why now, why once we've created our own, our, our own creation, um, do we have to add, ask those questions? Well, and it's funny because uh, the what you mentioned is like the opposite of most people who fear the thing uh, because they're worried about it having goals of its own uh, and then those goals not aligning with our goals uh, and then turning us into a pet uh, and uh, and like the it's the flip the flip side um, and uh, that, that was an interesting kind of flip for me because that's that's the, where I've been uh, looking at that question specifically is is in the sense that this thing will actually teach treat us like a pet. I actually don't. I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm. I. I. I think that it doesn't feel conscious. It doesn't feel sentient. It doesn't feel like. Um. Like it. It is. But it. But I don't know. I don't know whether this thing is gonna is gonna spark to have some sort of consciousness. And in that case, then we are dealing with. And is it an individual? Like. Uh. How, and then how do we how do we have that relationship with it? And then, if it is an individual and it is smarter than us. Maybe it's the one that decides whether we get whether we get the rights. Um, and that that brings the question of like power and all these other things and and govern governments and everything like that. Because if we create mm -hmm. this individual with vastly more intelligent, and if we if it's enlightened, if it's if it does feel that have that sense of like I'm part of this oneness of the universe, then it might be that enlightened philosopher king of Plato and such. But if not, then that might be a big challenge. Um, what what do you think about that? Yeah, I think you'd one would fear it and fear that it would create a dynamic where the being is now enslaving us mm. if we are the ones who are gonna who are gonna be doing the same thing, right? So mm, yes. uh, if you're if you're coming, it, it, it's just a matter of like who the creator is, right? So um, hence, I, it's really really important, like who are the first people on Earth that are, um, I guess, stewarding. The, the the technology uh the the you know for the folks who are listening in the last two weeks the most crazy you know uh, game of thrones stuff happened with open ai and you know there was a moment where the whole team almost left and joined microsoft and and i'm on the fence of how of, of it actually being really important that we need agi you know um artificial general intelligence to be stewarded by a team that isn't primarily motivated by motivated by profits. Mm. So that is purely a traditional C corp, purely motivated by you know money. I just don't have any trust that they're gonna, they're going to do things right. Mm -hmm. um, I like actually like Satya, the CEO of Microsoft. I feel like he's a really smart, empathetic. He's really great at strategy. He's, he's all around impressive. Um, but I don't believe in the structure of you know capitalism to steward proper. You know, intelligent life. You know, so <laughs> uh, so people like Ilya, you know, who's at OpenAI, I actually feel like is really important because not only is, is he like one of the most you know forefront thinkers in the in the space, but also it's clear to me he's very emotionally aware, um, and or or rather he prioritizes things beyond intellect. Um, he cares more about optimizing AI for just pure intelligence. And I think that's going to be the key component here if we're going to be creating AGI that's actually beneficial. We need to be optimizing for not just intellect, right? Well, we need to optimize for um, full human awareness, which is including the heart, you know, including feelings, including empathy and compassion. Um, without that, you're going to have a, you know, 
a partial AI that's intellectually um, going to be making decisions and that those decisions may be cold and unemotional and calculated, which might be negative, right? Mm. So the, yeah, the insurer, the creator has to be aware of these things and um, hence it'll lead to the creation to be also aware of these things. That's beautiful. So I want to go back to the, the C Corp versus nonprofit because it's so interesting because uh, it feels like the only, so if I were to come from it from the capitalist perspective, and I do, I do align more with the capitalist perspective, not necessarily for the things like um, uh, 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 compassion and, and like how to, the, what you brought up is a very interesting point of how to actually bring those higher level decisions into the conversation. And it feels like capitalism is a great way for making decisions, a great way for building sustainable businesses, sustainable, potentially, you know, maybe not necessarily sustainable in the full context of the environment and the world and everything like that. Although maybe because there are there are some capitalistic, uh, it, it may just take sort of a creativity, uh, for example, a business that uh, goes and find all finds all the microplastics in the in the in the earth. Uh, that may be a, a decision of whether it's a there's a creative hole, like somebody hasn't thought about it creatively enough, or it may just be that capitalism as a structure does not actually offer an incentive to uh, clean up these things. And then there's the nature of the subjective understanding of what we value, maybe as if, as a society, if we actually value those things, then we can create businesses. But then coming back to that nonprofit thing of like, you made a really interesting point, which is... Uh, you don't think that the nonprofit itself can, or I'm sorry, that the capitalistic business could actually value things such as heart and compassion and honesty. Uh, and it's all about the brute force of the intelligence. For, is that is that accurate? Yeah, well, yeah, there's so many layers to this. So um, first I'll say, I don't trust nonprofit systems either. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think, yeah. you know, there's many flaws with that model, but it, with the tools that we currently have available in terms of legal structures, it's yeah. to me at least slightly better <laughs> than mm. um, just a traditional um, C corp type model. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting because you know you need resources to work on this, right? And um, hence, people are going to be motivated by the business, the organization that can pay them really well, um, and that organization literally needs funding to. Mm. You know do the research right so um so you do need some sort of weird combination and that's kind of what they're trying to do yeah, um, yeah. between these, these models um but yeah i think ultimately the you know it's not necessarily like there's like all c corps are bad like i i'm a start i'm a founder yeah. of a c corp yeah yeah. Um, yeah it's it's more like the current structures incentivize just a few people to get the rewards of all the work of a lot of people, right? So if you were to simplify it to that, and you can change that model, like there's, you know, other structures where you could still have a C corp, for example, but maybe have almost everyone have equal distribution mm -hmm. in the company at least to get the same amount of shares, or you know, um, not, I'm not saying this is a good idea or a bad idea, uh, or there's other models altogether where you're you're sort of, um, the, 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 if a company wins, if the company is successful the the values then return back to the communities that are you know part of it right mm. um, so you know there's co-ops there's there's other other ways to do versions of capitalism um, but yeah I think at the end of the day, we're just talking about incentives right and you know as long as you have incentives that only motivate people to 
benefit a few people as opposed to more people or the or, or the general public, it's generally going to lead to some negative outcomes. Yeah, interesting. Um, and this may kind of accord with what we were talking about earlier, which is that it seems to me that maybe we're not at rock bottom, but we are at sort of like a, a transition point where the last 300 years of the nation state and of the of the capitalistic framework and of all these different things is being heavily, heavily questioned, like particularly in the United States, but actually I'm here in Argentina as well. And like uh, uh, whatever's going on in Argentina is, is, is not working. And, and, and there, 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 there's, there's going to be change here specifically. But in the United States, you're also seeing it with like BlackRock going in and buying all the property and making it really unaffordable to have houses and like a kind of capitalistic machine that's sort of allied with government and kind of like, uh, 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 and so like, what was, I think we can all agree that like what is going on is probably not uh, 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 very equi equitable and, and, is, and is going to be, uh, have a lot of problems. And so moving forward, kind of like with this patchwork age, if that's even what's happening, there's going to be a whole bunch of experimentation. Uh, and there's been a lot of experimentation previously, but, uh, but I think what we're really going to see is like a, a, a lot of experimentation, like Cambrian explosion of different identities and different technologies and different ways of doing things and sort of like maybe even hyper com competition between those but i think what we're we're not going to have anymore is sort of like this large scale ideological some people call it hegelian where it's like the synthesis anti-synthesis or no like thesis anti-thesis synthesis back and mm -hmm. forth right left back and forth and like everybody everybody's coming from it from the same same angle i think what we're going to enter is some sort of stage where it becomes extremely difficult to understand what other people are doing in these other things that have very different values um this is all just kind of thinking out loud but what 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 do you what do you think of that uh, agree yeah, disagree? yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. yeah I, I think we're in a massive age of um experimentation right now and I think there's, you know, the, some of the more forefront people. I mean, there's folks in the Bay, there's folks in Portland, there's folks in New Zealand, you know, um, who are working on just rethinking the concept of, you know, capital structure and funding and different ways of organizing people and making decisions. Um, there's a lot of work happening in the blockchain world around governance and decentralized decision making. Um, about different incentive structures that benefit more people um, and many variations of that. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Like, I, I don't think we have the answer yet. Um, I think we the answer that we know for sure is that the current system isn't working. Um, <laughs> the question is, you know, what's the next system? What's the next particularly global system? It's the first time, you know, it's only in the last 100 years that, in really the last 20 years, that we've gotten a such a level of global communication mm -hmm. right where now any individual can communicate with any other in in light speed um part of the reason i do crowdcast is because mm -hmm. you know one thing that's not going to change is that we're going to continue communicating more mm -hmm. you know and we've you know, initially communicated with physical writings and eventually that turned into being able to, to transmit those writings and eventually that turned into recording videos and transmitting those videos and eventually we got to like doing low scale live video and now eventually we're going to get to the ability to do high scale you know what live does that video mean? communication which essentially what just means um essentially just means you know having the highest bandwidth of information mm -hmm. transfer that, that we've ever had you know where any individual can gather potentially hundreds of thousands or, or millions of people wow. right and the thought the process of 
translating a thought from someone's head yeah. to a, yeah. a form and then translating that form to someone else has just dramatically reduced and the scale has dramatically increased, right? So um, all these things contribute to this acceleration of experimentation, more information exchange, more, more, more thoughts, more ideation. Uh, an inevitable outcome of all this is going to be different solutions that are actually going to start working. <laughs> you know? mm. and, and we've already had that. I think, I think just the concept of blockchain is a huge win. And a lot of people are, are now building on top of that. Um, but, you know, for the concept of the internet was a huge win. And now we've had almost you know, many iterations of that. Right. So, um, yeah, I think the, the experiments are not yet, you know, there's, it's not done and, and it's, it's just really, that's the part that I'm really excited about. It's like, you know, where we can be part of that experimentation. Many things are not going to work. We just have to accept that. Um, but in the process of knowing what not, what doesn't work, we'll find out the things that, that do, and we can start to use new systems to organize, gather, communicate, make decisions, and so on. I really like what you said about Crowdcast specifically and the low scale to high scale and the bandwidth transfer of ideas, because that high bandwidth transfer of ideas in the last 10 years, it feels like, is on Facebook with text posts. Sometimes people do videos, but not necessarily, uh, but your text, and it's so easy to miscommunicate and misunderstand with text. Uh, and so this idea of a world where it's actually like uh, quick video uh, with either, well, let's, add, let's, let's turn it into a question. What do you think about large group video calls versus short group video or short small group video calls? And like, um, does Crowdcast do a lot of like 10 people, 20 people, or is it more focused on 100,000 people, million people, th those types of things? What are the, what's the kind of numbers there? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah, we, we sort of start at like on the low end, five to 10 people and on the high end right now up to maybe five to 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, most people don't have massive audiences and most people aren't doing massive events, right? So, um, but yeah, I think over time um, we're, we do see that it, it's just in, it's just kind of inevitable that you get more and more scale, uh, more and more reach, um, but the tech hasn't been able to pull it off, oh, you know? And so as, as the technological, um, I guess, pieces are just figured out, uh, it, it, it will be pretty natural to you know find audiences across the planet um and and share those ideas I mean, you know it, it, it just it's a very edge of technology right now right to do live video at scale to do live audio at scale alone is really difficult and twitter had a massive has had a lot of struggles with that you know so um yeah so can we can we go what are the what are the technical problems that are associated with doing live video and live live audio yeah i mean when you have a written form or, or recorded form of content, um, the way that you structure the architecture is these days relatively solved. You know, mm -hmm. um, you have some storage system, you have a way to sort of copy that storage in different places called the CDN, and then you have a way to then retrieve that data right when you need it. Um, but when you have something live, um, you need, you know, actual reliable, um, you could say channels of communication or you know, um, ports <laughs> open um, that can scale horizontally to support a lot of people. And you know, there's just, it's just, it's just a use case that hasn't really been done that much. Um, different people have solved different versions of it. Like, you know, one to many at this uh, streaming at this point is fairly solved. You know, if it's just me streaming uh, my single video to the world yeah. on YouTube or on 
Twitch, like that's that's a fairly solved technological problem. Yeah. But when you have some too many, that's the hardest. Yeah. Right. So like me and you on stage, maybe with three other people broadcasting to like a hundred thousand people, that is still very difficult to do. <laughs> and then to be able to invite up anyone from the audience onto that stage, right? Yeah. So that's really what we're focused on. It's like yeah. how do you get this like how do we get to the world where we can enable that as crowdcast, where you can enable massive global scale conversations. Um, and I say conversations and not broadcast because, you know, with, with the current technologies, it is one to many, meaning it's a one way, right? So the people who have the technology and the resources can broadcast to the people who don't yet, right? And that's frustrating. Like I'm, I'm born in, I was born in Bangladesh and, you know, I want the whole planet to, you know, um, to be able to be seen as on the same playing field, right? Because ideas are everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so that's, yeah, that, 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 that's what's really exciting when you combine the technological pieces with the direction that we're going as a planet. I guess the other, the other thing to say here is that, you know, um, I'm actually a big fan of places like Twitter where you have mm. a mix of left and right wing, mm. you know, information all kind of blending together. Yeah. Uh, I do think we need people on all ends of the spectrum just colliding with each other more. Um, you know, part of the reason we have such a weird dynamic in the US yeah. and most countries um, around politics is simply because the people who are in more rural places aren't bumping into as many ideas as the people who are in, in the city places. Um, but with the internet and, you know, with virtual communication, you have a way to sort of, you know, um, bridge that gap, right, where ideas are able to sort of bump into each other more often. Um, and whether it's over live video, you know, podcast or over, you know, text, textual context, uh, content, if, if they do have the ability to interact, I think that's where the magic happens. And over time, I do believe that the, the best ideas naturally do, do you know, come to the top, but you, you do need people to not be in silos, right? And to be actually yeah. talking to each other. Um, and live video particularly minimizes the opportunity for misinformation or misinterpretation, right? Yeah. The, the yeah. translation process is, is the least lost <laughs> than anything else. Yeah, it's super interesting. And then the 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 follow up question then becomes, well, actually, I want to ask the are on the architecture problem. And you mentioned QSTAR, you know, QSTAR can kind of like uh, if, I'm not sure whether it's real or not, but but a lot of people told me it is real that that it can solve a math problem at a fifth grade level on its own or something like that. And it can solve a novel and that will lead to maybe novel uh, solutions. Have you tried to get the the ChatGPT or another AI? Uh, to help you to solve the architectural problems at all of doing live so, video? Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of just general engineering, yeah, I use, we use AI all the time to accelerate our productivity around programming. Um, it's really good at helping just, you know, take your idea and turn it into code faster. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we don't, yeah. So, yeah, I guess in general, I would say we are using it as, as an aid. It's more like a helpful research aid. You know, imagine having a friend who's read all the papers and has read all of the bar blog posts. And you can just be like, hey, like, what do you think about this thing? <laughs> what do you think about that? You know, so, but it doesn't really, it does speed up things certainly, but there's- It doesn't, there's a, solve the architectural problem. Like it doesn't actually, it, it can't come up with that novel solution. It, the best it may be is find somebody else's novel solution that they maybe have figured out basically. Yeah, and part of it's just how much context can you give it? You know, like, uh, and that's also accelerating. Like if you can give it, more and more context around how your whole architecture is built eventually mm -hmm. yeah it, i think it'll eventually know oh actually do this and do that 
Um, the other part is, you know, how much we at Crowdcast, like how much do we want to own the technology versus uh, the technology from other people? You know, because we we personally we care more about the network of people um, yeah. and yeah. The, and the communities and the, and the problem that we're solving around, you know, enabling different individuals, creators, solopreneurs, even and businesses to ultimately make a living. Like that's that's kind of the way we think of it. And we think of events and live video as a means to an end, right? So um, you're only going to be doing events if you can make a living, right? So if you're, maybe it's a workshop, maybe it's you're doing live webinars around a particular topic or, you know, conferences, you know, live podcasts, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, right now, up until, up until now, we've there's parts of our architecture that's still rented, you know, from other yeah. APIs and, and so on. And I don't think we'll necessarily want to bring that in-house. Um, the amount of headache that it'll bring is not necessarily one that we want to yet do, but we brought in a lot of it in-house at this point. So most of the architectures are custom built at this point. Um, but yeah, because we have these other problems that are bigger than live video that we're trying to focus on, um, you know, I, it, there's going to be a question of how much deep, deep in the weeds do we focus on ourselves? Yeah, yeah you're more focused on the actual people problems of uh, of getting a whole bunch of people together for and helping those creators kind of find a market and solve, have the, the technology solve the the piece of that, that those creators need basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think, you know, that as much as I'm a, I'm an engineer, I'm a designer, I know that people don't care what your technology is. Like they just don't, you know, they're just trying to solve their problem. Right. Yeah. Um, and you could use blockchain, you could use something else. It just doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and those API companies and platforms, like ultimately to me, it's just a fight to the bottom. You know, there's going to be faster APIs that are maybe better, you know, different priced. Um, and it's just a constant battle and, and it's not necessarily the game that we want to play. Yeah. Whereas relationships, you know, that's something that you can't just replicate. You know, if you have a network of 100,000 people who will have relationships on the platform, they're following channels or they have creators that they're, you know, uh, that they're communicating with, engaging with, maybe even friends that they've made, right? You can't just... Even if someone made a complete clone of Crowdcast, you can't just copy the mm-hmm. community over. You know, mm-hmm. the network effect is probably the most um, strong defensibility, right, of, of any of any platform. So we care more about that. We care more about the actual relationships as opposed to the exact type of technology that we're um, optimizing for. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really cool. And uh, but but bringing sort of like the where we're going. I don't know if you saw the Facebook thing with uh, Facebook and Lex Friedman, where he invited Lex Friedman to do the podcast, and it was like a he did, yeah, yeah, the visual representation, and like it, obviously that's in terms of the metaverse uh, sort of world and such, but it also feels like there's such a large gap between where we are now and then like go like the idea of me using that technology to do all my video calls and such uh, seems really far off, and like I'm I'm relatively uh, uh, open. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a very early adopter usually. Um, so if it's early, if it's a lo- long off for me, uh, definitely probably going to be long off for other people. Um, what do you think about that? That like that, do you think we're headed to that world and what, where does Crowdcast play in that? If, if at all? Yeah. So, but yeah, basically, um, just to kind of review for the folks who may not sure. know, um, yeah, like said a podcast with, with, with Mark where they were both using their latest headset, um, at different locations. And that both scan their faces using the headset or other tools to get the most high fidelity as as they can pull off today, 3D model. So that they were both basically in a virtual space talking to each other, and it was as close to 
you know, high fidelity and reality as, as they could get it today. Um, and I think eventually it'll it'll get there, right? Eventually the fidelity of the virtual um, avatar would be, you know, as sharp as physical reality. Um, it may not be fully wow. representative of the truth, but it, it'll still, it might be at, you know, have the same, you could say pixel de- density or something like that. Um, but, you know, there's just so many other senses, you know, so but it, I think the, this question around, it's really a bigger question that you're asking, which is that, you know, as people eventually, well, one, will people adopt AR and VR as a primary form of communication with each other? And then two, how does that affect, you know, virtual event, live event platforms like Crowdcast and Zoom, where you're using video feeds, right, to communicate? Um, well, you know, there's so many layers to this one. The most of the planet has don't don't have headsets, obviously, and most of the planets don't even have laptops. Right, most of the planet has Android devices, um, and they're going to be using face-to-face video for a very very long time. Yep. Um, and so there's just that, like, the truth of that is most people aren't living in Silicon Valley, right? And that, yeah, and, and if, it goes back to that other conversation that we were having about like uh, the the splitting off of some parts, and the people who are most connected to AI are going to split off in splinters, but then like 70, 80% of the population is going to remain with the low tech options. Um, But then there will be some sort of jumping the gap behind that as well. Like things that you can, like things that can be on the phone uh, will, like anything that can be done on the phone will. And then I'm sure at some point there will be low cost, potentially maybe, maybe we reach some sort of limit in terms of our environmental capacity to provide us with Mm -hmm. crazy electronics or something like that but maybe we go to asteroids and kind of um uh, mine asteroids and such for for those types of things but um uh but yeah it's like it's a it's such an interesting world of where we're headed where the acceleration and this is where the the i guess that'd be a fun question to ask you is like last 10 minutes what what is your take on the singularity you you mentioned that you don't want to go into that cyberpunk version but is there a solar punk are you familiar with the solar punk terminology one of my yeah, favorite so. yeah one of my favorite things about solar punk discovering solar punk because i've read so much cyberpunk in the last 20 30 years uh and i've read so much of it i read science fiction and most of the science fiction in the 1950s and 1960s was super optimistic like i would i would probably say that that's probably solar punk but since cyberpunk came out solar punk is sort of like what happens after cyberpunk and it comes from this idea of solar panels like getting energy from the sun like totally sustainable like no problem like like uh, utopia type of a thing like why can't technology go this and I tried to look for books uh, that were in the solar punk genre uh, to understand it. And there was only one that I could find. I couldn't, it's, it's just basically an artistic uh, aesthetic genre of, of art uh, that shows cities, beautiful green mixtures of cities and solar panels and such. Uh, it doesn't have any literary works and doesn't have very many movies either because I think particularly the last 20, 30 years, years human, humanity has had such a negative conception of, of, um, of uh, but what is the solar punk version of the singularity? And well, actually, and what what's your take on the singularity? And is are there different singularities that we can have? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I might be. Th- this is just my personal opinion. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that people fully understand what consciousness is, mm-hmm. and hence they have this misunderstanding of what the singularity is. Mm-hmm. They think that you can convert consciousness into ones and zeros, and then upload that to a physical device or network, you know. 
I'm on, I'm just so far from that that it's it's we don't yeah it's just it's just a whole other thread to go down. Yeah. Um. So I think it's just it's just not aware. It, it, I wouldn't say maybe ignorance, but it's just you know people who just they don't fully understand how the reality works. Um. That said, you know there I think solar punk you know this reality where we're more in tune with maybe natural resources, natural elements, combining that with advances in technology. That's definitely more the direction that I, I think will actually naturally go. Because um, I think most of the world, you know, most of the world is actually pretty emotionally aware. Mm. And most of the world is often communicating um, through the physical, through dance, through through their body language, you know. Um, and in the world where you have AR or VR or using purely technological forms of communication, it's just so limiting to the bandwidth of the type of, you know, communication human can have that I don't believe that most of the world will actually excitedly adopt that. Um, and so naturally, you're not going to get as much virtual reality communication. You'll definitely get some of it. Like, it'll make sense in some use, business use cases. Um, it'll make sense when you haven't seen someone who's on the other side of the planet. But, you know, and I, I run a company that's about virtual communication. And, I, and I'll tell you that you'll never get a replace in-person physical. Like, um, humans are here in the physical reality, you know, for a reason, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's just, main thing is just, it's just fun. And you know, it just really, you know, you, you can't, you can't yet create something that's more fun than being in a, at a physical festival, dancing with people or a physical, just sitting next to a group of people making music together or, you know, whatever, whatever it is, like there's so much joy that we get and that's ingrained in us for thousands of years that I don't think we're suddenly going to, go into a more cyberpunk reality where we're not doing that as a primary form of communication. Um, but I, I still think solarpunk is just kind of like a stepping stone, you know? Um, I, in general, I do believe that, you know, there are other forms of um, generating energy that's way beyond what we currently have. And there's a lot of experiments happening. There's different theories around like, you know, are there ways to get energy from the magnetic field? Are there ways to get energy from the zero point field? I don't the answer to that. I just know that we're definitely not going to be on oil. <laughs> we're definitely not going to be on maybe even solar, you know, within maybe even 10 years. Like, as in, um, we'll have the technologies, whether they'll be equally distributed is, is a separate question. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think eventually, you know, there's there's a certain path of reality where we're actually just more in tune with nature to the point that what we call technology just starts to be less differentiated from what we call nature. Mm. Um, and you know just like human beings are an organic technology you know we have a coding system called dna um and all life on earth has the same programming code right we're using this code to um transfer knowledge from one generation of the species to the next um it, we're a technology right in the same way that you might define technology um with programming code um so I think the language here gets eventually will get really, really blurry on us. So like, what's technology versus not? Um, maybe we'll use, you know, we'll learn how to manipulate DNA to create homes that are just created by trees, <laughs> you know, um, or you know, we, we don't we don't even know. Like, I think we can go into this really radical reality in the future where um, the difference between what's naturally occurring and what's sort of designed by humans will become very, very subtle and nuanced. That's a cool. Maybe science. maybe you can call it yeah, organic punk or something. I don't organic know. punk, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a very cool vision of the future, and that was very uh, interesting. 
it's just like it's uh, there's so much opportunity there's, and there's so much challenge and pain and all uh, you know as the normal human existence just like uh there's just so much that that can happen and so much that will happen and it's hard to see what will happen there's one point that was really interesting that you made that i want to go to um oh yeah but the physical fun it's like uh being in person and having this like physical relationship around us and that that uh everything that we're doing is just trying to solve the point that i'm in buenos aires you're in you're in the us and like that that we're just solving that problem but i don't have that problem when i i went to this awesome zook event last weekend that was a total surprise and it was so cool it's so good to be around people and like and like and dancing mm -hmm. and it's just like the the but this world as well, like I'm also very happy that we get to do this because like this sparked all these thoughts in my head that I that probably wouldn't have happened at that Zook event. So, um, so it's a uh, it's really really interesting, uh, just the digital versus the physical world, and and but then you just made a point that 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 distinction might go away at some point as well. Um, but it it kind of depends on the technology. Yeah, and maybe one other layer to add to that is that you know, um, if people are deciding to put more investment in one technology versus the other there's just so many things we could invest our energy in um but for example in i see in one reality where we've invested a lot of energy in transportation and we eventually have forms of teleportation or transportation that's mm. you know that's relatively short or instant where i could just go to Buenos Aires and we could just have this conversation at a coffee shop you know in palermo or something you know and and that would be way more interesting to me than having it in virtual reality, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah, I think, I think it's just a matter of what, where do we, what do we want to prioritize as, as, as a people? Um, and, you know, uh, I, and to kind of open our, I guess, imaginations of what's really possible. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. How can people find out more about you? Yeah. I mean, you can definitely just follow me on Twitter. I'm you know, Sidor, S-A-I-D-U-R-H on Twitter. Um, or come check out Crowdcast or crowdcast.io. Um, but yeah, I'm not that active on social media. Uh, it's pretty hard to stay on top of things. Um, but yeah, I'll try to, you know, if you shoot me a message, I'll, I'll try to get, definitely get back to you. Cool. Thank you so much, Sai. Yeah, really good to be here, Stuart. Cool. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.